the most successful manager of an English football team ever is a Scotsman by the name of... Sorry, I can't hear you, Chris. Sir Alex Ferguson. Over his 27 years with Manchester United, he has written himself into the history books. Even those of us who don't follow football have heard of Sir Alex and Manchester United. So it comes as no surprise when we read in his autobiography these two sentences. He writes, I have devoted my life to football. Everything has been thrown overboard for it. I have devoted my life to football. Everything has been thrown overboard for it. You can't get much clearer than this, can you? It was his focus, his life and his passion. Everything else was subservient to football. Now in today's passage from Mark, we're introduced to four men who were able to say something very similar. I'm sure if we could gather Peter and Andrew, James and John and have them on the stage and ask them, they could well easily say, we have devoted our lives to Jesus. Everything has been thrown overboard for him. And in this call to the first disciples, we are confronted and we are challenged. For we too are called to do likewise. So today, as we focus on Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, we're going to see three things about God's call on our life. We're going to see that it's drastic, it's developmental, but it's very doable. Drastic, developmental, and doable. So first of all, drastic. Let's dive into the text and look at what it means to follow Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 16 of Mark. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now straight away we come across something unusual. You see, in Jesus' day, no rabbi would do what Jesus is doing here. In Jesus' day, teachers did not select their students. Rabbis would never approach anyone and say, follow me. It was unheard of. It was the opposite. Students would seek out a rabbi. They would find a teacher they'd heard and had a wonderful reputation and they would ask to be their followers. Jesus turns this convention on its head. Uh, Let me give you a modern context. Last year I went to a careers evening with my then year 13 son. In the school hall were reps from all sorts of tertiary institutions around New Zealand. And each rep would wait in their booth with all the posters and the material in front of them. And we would walk by and when we paused, they would chat and answer questions and promote their course. And it was very helpful for Ryan as he was doing the fine tuning for his career. But just imagine if the rep from Otago University pointed to Ryan and said, hey you, (laughs) drop everything. Enroll in the course that I will choose for you. Sign here, you start tomorrow. Imagine that. Imagine if Ryan had said, okay, where do I sign? I think I would have fallen on the floor as a father. (laughs) And I wonder about James and John's father, whether he felt the same. Let's pick this up in verse uh, 
verse 19. When Jesus had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. Without delay, immediately, straight away, there's that word again, immediately, straight away, without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So a father and two sons are working in their boat. They're preparing the nets for the next night's fishing. And Jesus leans in and says, Hey you, James and John, drop everything. Follow me now. Don't worry what it's about. I'll tell you later. And they did. Immediately, without delay, just then and there, they literally dropped the nets, drop everything, and they followed Jesus. And Don't you think it's a little bit on the drastic side? And we may be thinking, well, this is all a bit of extreme. You know, these guys leaving their jobs and their families. But it's probably just for the zealots, the fanatics, the really keen ones. And though we wouldn't say it out loud, inside we're saying, I'm glad God doesn't want me to be a fanatic. (laughs) Nobody wants to be a fanatic. (laughs) Certainly not me. And you see, many of us, we had this idea of a continuum when it comes to following Jesus. And on this side are the religious hypocrites. And whoa, none of us want to be hypocrites. And on this side we have the zealots and the fanatics. None of us want to be a religious fanatic. Look what they're doing in this world. Look at the mess they're causing. And so we like to be in the middle. We don't want to be hypocrites and we don't want to be fanatics. We want to be in the middle. Now maybe Jesus has given us this option or or maybe not. Let's see. Maybe it is just missionaries and apostles and church planters that are fanatics. And there'll be no hypocrites here, just us in the middle. Maybe that's how the kingdom of God is to run. So Jesus fortunately talked about what it was to follow Jesus in other places. And so we're going to go to Luke 14, 26, just to help reassure ourselves that we're on the right track. And so... Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciples. Goodness me. You mean to say following Jesus is that drastic? He doesn't say if any missionary or church planter or apostle, he just says if anyone which means it's non-negotiable. And so straight away, this blows our continuum out of the water. There is no safe middle ground when it comes to following Jesus. Yes, there are the religious hypocrites, but then over here are all those who follow Jesus. Now, how many of you have read this verse and come across it and then quickly moved on? thinking, Jesus, I don't know what you mean, but it just doesn't sound like you. I never heard this in Sunday school. So let's unpack this a little bit. What does it mean to hate our father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, when it comes to following Jesus? Well, Christ is not asking us to literally hate our loved ones. He's comparatively asking us to hate He's challenging us. He wants our love for him to be so far in front of our love for other things that these love for other things look like hate in comparison. If we love our children by this much, he wants us to love him by 
50, 100, 1,000 times more because this is a comparison that he's talking about. Yes, we are to love our mother and father heaps, but if it's a choice between being faithful to Jesus or pleasing our parents, we choose Jesus in a heartbeat. Let me put it in another way. In traditional cultures, leaving a career is no big deal. But for sons to leave their father, to turn their back on the family business, that's a big deal, even today. Pacific Island, Māori culture, that's what, and traditional cultures around the world. This is a big deal. If you, were, if you were just Joe Public standing on the wharf and you watched this happen and you saw James and John leave their father's business and walk away, you say, those boys must hate their father. We can be assured that they did not. They just loved Jesus so much that people looking on thought it was hate. Let me give you a modern day example. There's a couple that Judy and I know. They've been married for 20 years or so. When they first got married, they decided that if they had family or friends visiting and they were in a de facto relationship, separate rooms. They were Christians and that was what they decided. And then the sister and the brother-in-law wanted to stay. And they said, well, separate rooms. And they didn't stay. Now, and this happened more than once, and, there, and there's another couple, um, family members, and, and they accepted that, and they slept in separate rooms and still visited. Now, if you're a Kiwi, secular, bloke on the street, woman on the street, and you heard about that, you heard that this couple wouldn't let their sister and brother-in-law sleep in the same room because they were living together, and that this, this couple decided to leave, you would say, they must hate their sister and brother-in-law, wouldn't That's what your average Kiwi would say, wouldn't they? Say, what's the big deal? You must hate your family. But they, their hearts were broken. <laughs> they loved their sister and their brother-in-law. Well, partner. They loved them dearly, and it broke their heart. But looking on, it looked like they hated them. And this is what it means by Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, family members, they cannot be my disciple. Goodness me, following Jesus is drastic. So all of those of us who want to sit in the middle without being hypocrites and don't want to be fanatics, the choice is not ours. We must follow Jesus with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. There is no other option. If it comes a choice between following Christ and anything else, family, business, we follow Jesus in a heartbeat. And talking of business, did you notice the boys walked away from their income? All four took a financial hit. Now, how many times have we heard the gospel in the last 20 years where someone has got up the front and followed Jesus and he will bless your finances? How many times have we heard that? Is this what's happening here? Follow Jesus and your finances will take a hit. How many times have we heard from the, from the front saying, follow Jesus and he will bless your relationships? Was that what's happening here? Well, we're taking a hit. Now, hand on heart, I can tell you that God has blessed Judy and I when it comes to finances over the years. 
and he has blessed our relationships. And so on the whole, (laughs) when you follow Jesus, and when you get your finances and relationships and all this lined up, there will be blessings. But now and again, you're going to take a hit. And God's saying, actually, you've forgotten about me. You're too focused on the family. You're too focused on the blessings. I'm just going to remove that a little bit so you can see how far your heart has strayed. Following Jesus is drastic. Did you see why I said I might not have a job on Monday? (laughs) Not only is following Jesus drastic, but it's also developmental. Now, what do I mean by this? It's a work in progress. And I've been reading the NIV for something like 35 years, and I, and I love, not this one, this is, this is just a few years old, but I've been reading an NIV for years, and it's great. And every now and again, though, and I'm a bit reluctant to criticise it, it doesn't get things quite right, and here would be a good example. The NIV says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But a number of other modern translations put it like this. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And it's the word become that is very crucial. Now, in the original Greek, the word's there. So I can't quite understand why the NIV misses it out. It's it's just one of those things that happens with any translation, really. But the English Standard Version um, and various others pick it up. You will become fishers of men. This picks up on the idea that being a disciple, following Jesus, is a work in progress. You know, Jesus is starting to make them fishers of men. He's starting to mould them. He's starting to teach those four men, starting to show them how to catch something way more important than their meal. And through the Gospel of Mark, we see that the disciples are being formed. They get it right, they get it wrong. Jesus corrects them and they get it right again and then they get it wrong and they get it right and then all the way to Pentecost. Following Jesus is developmental. It's a journey. It's one step at a time we are being transformed into better fishermen. I want to tell a story by a theologian called George MacDonald, which helps us understand what it is to follow Jesus. Now, I credit Tim Keller, the Presbyterian minister in the States. I'm going to listen to a number of his sermons, and when he covered this passage, he used this story from George MacDonald. Now, George MacDonald is a Scottish theologian. He had a large influence on C.S. Lewis, For like C.S. Lewis, George MacDonald not only wrote theology, good theology, but he wrote children's stories. And George MacDonald wrote the story called The Goblin and the Princess. And it's a story about a young girl called Irene. Irene's about eight years old and she lives in a great big house. And one day she finds in the attic a most lovely woman. It's her fairy great-grandmother. And her fairy grandmother appears every now and again, not all the time, now and again. And they get on like a house on fire. And the grandmother is wise. And Irene learns so much. And it's a delight. One day her grandmother gives her a ring. And this ring has a magic thread tied to it. And on the other end is a ball of twine, a ball of thread. And Irene's grandmother says to her, I'm giving you this ring with the thread attached to it, but I will keep the ball. I don't see any thread, Grandmother, says Irene. Well, dear, the thread's too fine to see. You can only feel it. Oh, yes, I do. I do feel it. Now, said Grandmother, if you ever find yourself in danger, this is what you must do. 
you must take off the ring and place it under your pillow and then feel for the thread and follow it with your forefinger and follow where it goes. And Irene says, oh, how delightful, grandmother. It will lead me to you. I know it will, and I'll be safe. Yes, said the grandmother, but it may seem to take you in a very roundabout way. You must never doubt the thread, no matter where it takes you. Just remember, while you hold one end, I hold the other. Now, a few days later, it's dark, and she's in bed when the goblins enter the house. And she hears the scratching, she hears the snarling in the hallway, and she's very afraid. But she has the presence of mind to take off the ring and put it under her pillow. She feels for the magic thread, and she starts feeling it, and she follows it. And she said, good, this will take me to Grandma, and I'll be safe. But to her dismay, instead of leading up the back stairs to the attic, the thread takes her outside. As she follows the thread, she realises it's it's taking her right to the goblin cave. And then she enters the cave and she follows the thread until it comes to a stone wall. Tumbled stones, a dead end. And she's in the dark and she doesn't know what to do and a thought strikes her. She will follow the thread backwards to the mouth of the cave. At least she'll be outside. But when she feels backwards, she finds that the thread has disappeared. And in despair, she throws herself onto the cave floor and cries and sobs and cries until she can cry no more. And then she realises the only way to follow the thread is to tear down the wall. And she starts moving stones and her fingers become bruised, even bleeding, and she tears and she tears and she tears until she hears a voice on the other side. It's her good friend, Curdie, who's trapped behind the stones. He'd been imprisoned there by the goblins. Curdie's astounded and says to Irene, however did you find me? And Irene says, my grandmother sent me. I had no idea why she made me come this way, but now I know. She sent me here to rescue you. And Curdie says, great, I'm free. And so he starts to head out of the cave. But the thread keeps going deeper in. And Irene says, Sorry, but I've got to go the other way. And Curdie says, what do you mean? That's not the way out. I know, said Irene, but this is the way my thread goes and I must follow it. I know it doesn't make sense, but if I'd given up before, I'd never have found you. I must follow my thread no matter how foolish it looks. And this is what Jesus is saying to you and I today. Jesus is saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will heal your self-centeredness. I will heal your pride. The pride and self-centeredness that is ruining your life. But the path I'm taking you on will look like it's taking you to one dead end after another. But it isn't. And the thread won't work backward. You must follow the thread. You must not veer to the right nor the left, but obey me. Obey me even if it's just in the little way that you know how. Obey me. And it will work. It will make you into fishers of men. It will make you into someone great, who, someone who can change lives. And this is what it is to follow Jesus.
And all this seems so hard. It's impossible, and by ourselves it is. But it is doable. You see, here's the thing. Jesus is asking us to do exactly what he's already done. When Jesus called James and John to leave their father on the boat, he was calling them to do what he had already done. For he had already left his father. He was saying to James and John, I've left my father in heaven to be obedient to him. Come and do likewise. And there's more. For as Christ makes his way to Calvary, and we'll see this in the Gospel of Mark, not only has he left his father to come down to earth, but he will be left by his father rejected on the cross. Jesus is rejected on the cross so that we need not be rejected. Christ's Father turns his back on him so that our Heavenly Father will never turn his back on you and I. And this is what it means when we come to his table. We come because Jesus became sin that we might become right with God. And so we we take the body that was broken for us and we take the blood that was spilt for us because at the invitation of Jesus who left his father so that we can gather around his table. And that's what it is to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus to his table not because we are worthy, not because we are super spiritual or zealots, Most of us, including your minister, would like to be in the middle. (laughs) But the more I read God's word, the less he gives me that option. But I tell you, when you start to move to follow Jesus like James and John and Peter and Andrew, that's when the adventure begins. And it's glorious and it's wonderful and lives change and we're a part of it. So, come. Come not because you are worthy, because you are greatly loved. And he is calling each of us to become fishers of men and fishers of women. Let's pray.